Hello and welcome to this Diocesan Point Person webinar for the Eucharistic Revival. My name is Jonathan Sitko. I'm Director of Programs for the Catholic Apostle Center. I'm helping on the background of this uh, webinar with David Spazia and Joel St Stepanek uh, of the Eucharistic Revival. Um, and so there are a couple of just small things. At the end of this webinar, there will be time for question and answer. So at the bottom of, of your screens, there is a spot for questions. Feel free to provide questions throughout the presentation and David and Joel will hopefully answer them at the end of this webinar. The other thing is there is a, a chat feature that most of you have probably entered. If you could give your, your name, where you came from and your diocesan role for, this, uh, for the revival, that would be super helpful. Um, and the only other thing is this webinar is being recorded. So if you would like to share it with other people in your network, other colleagues, feel free to. Um, there will be a, a separate email for all of this uh, sent and it'll be available free on YouTube. And so with that, I will hand things off to David um, who will do proper introductions and prayer. Okay, thanks so much, Jonathan. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. And first I'd like to begin with a thanks to the Catholic Apostolate Center for hosting this and Jonathan for your work behind the scenes. So as a lot of you know, this. National Eucharistic Revival would not be working if we didn't have all of these partners and collaborators and apostolates and everyone stepping forward and saying, you know, what can we do to help? Um, so our goal today is to do a preview of the leader's playbook for the uh, upcoming parish year of the revival and uh, to begin reflecting on and identifying some of the key areas for engaging parish leaders. Very grateful to have one of our newest executive team members with us here. Uh, Joel is uh, Chief Mission Officer for the National Eucharistic Congress Corporation, and he was part of the talented drafting team that pulled together this resource. So basic plan, we're going to start with an opening prayer, which I think you will find exciting. It's the new official prayer of the National Eucharistic Revival, long awaited. And um, after prayer, Joel's going to do a brief overview of uh the handbook, and then we'll just open it up for discussion, questions, and take it uh, wherever you'd like to bring it today. So uh, this prayer for the National Eucharistic Revival is uh, it's being formatted right now. It's being translated. This is the uh, official but embargoed copy, so uh, very excited to uh, pray this together today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you give us your flesh and blood for the life of the world, and you desire that all people come to the supper of the sacrifice of the Lamb. Renew in your church the truth, beauty, and goodness contained in the most blessed Eucharist. Jesus, living in the Eucharist, come and live in me. Jesus, healing in the Eucharist, come and heal me. Jesus, sacrificing yourself in the Eucharist, come and suffer in me. Jesus, rising in the Eucharist, come and rise to new life in me. Jesus, loving in the Eucharist, come and love in me. Lord Jesus Christ, through the Paschal mystery of your death and resurrection made present in every holy mass, pour out your healing love on your church and on our world. Grant that as we lift you up during this time of Eucharistic revival, your Holy Spirit may draw all people to join us at this banquet of life. You live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother of the Eucharist, pray for us. Amen. Amen. 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So uh, before I hand it over to Joel, I just want to emphasize something that's been on my heart for a while is that this parish year is the pivotal year of the three years in this national movement. And we've really been building to it since what we called year zero was our planning year, but we've been building towards this moment. And really the, this playbook is the key resource of the pivotal year. So uh, it's just so exciting that we have it ready. And um, I hope you find it as um, helpful, a discernment tool as, as we hope and pray it will be. So with that, uh, Joel, we'll hand it over to you. Thanks, David. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to spend some time with you this afternoon discussing this key resource for the parish year. When we look at revival, to step back for a second, revival, as we know, is not something we can make happen on our own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we do before we even get into this parish playbook, and we did it already, is we pray. We pray for revival. We beg for revival. But in that, like grace, it's a work of God, but it's also a work that we participate in, right? So revival isn't just something we say, Lord, you've got to do this and make it happen. God wants to invite us into the work of revival. And so that's what we're doing. But I think that mindset is a place where we have to begin. And I know as to ask and point people, you've been leading with that mindset. So now our job is to make sure that our parish point people are able to lean into that mindset. This is not a program. It is not an event. It is not um, a silver bullet. This is a movement, a movement that we enter into with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're leaning into this parish playbook, I think that's what we need to lead with as you talk to your parish point people and as you push this through your diocese, that this is not a foolproof plan if we are not praying. We trust that the Lord has called for revival, Eucharistic revival, no less, in our church. And we need to participate and respond to that call but we have to lead with prayer and recognize that the work is the Lord's and he's invited us into that vineyard. Now, as part of our response to revival, we have thought through how can we provide tactical things to parishes who are saying, okay, that's cool. Revival is the work of the Holy Spirit. What do we do to respond to that work? What do we do to collaborate with that work? What do we do to provide an openness and spaces where the Holy Spirit can do the heavy lifting of revival and Eucharistic revival, no less. That's what the parish playbook is. It's leaning into that response and providing best practices for parishes and consistent practices for parishes in the United States that will lead to Eucharistic revival. And so as we think that through, I want to leave with this quote from uh, Bishop, uh, from Pope Francis. Let us be daring. Let us rethink the style of our parochial communities. We pray that parishes, placing communion at the center, may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome towards those in most in need. When we look at revival and Eucharistic revival, it has to happen at the grassroots level. It has to happen within our parish communities. Those places that are embedded within the culture of a region, that know the people that are embedded in a community, and have that touch point with Catholics, um, within a particular region. And this might mean renewal. There is something daring about this. What, what we're doing is going beyond the status quo uh, and asking for something big. Revival is not a, a rehashing or a retooling. It's a regeneration. So as we look at the parish playbook, there's four invitations we're making to uh, our parish communities as they lean into this critical year of the Eucharistic revival. And those four invitations are here. We want to invite people to reinvigorate worship 
We want to invite parishioners to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We want to invite parish communities into robust faith formation. And then we want to invite our parishioners and our parishes to become centers of missionary sending. Not just places where we go to be fed, but places where we go to be fed, nourished on the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, and then sent forward into the communities in which those parishes are situated to be agents of renewal beyond our parish walls. So we'll lean into these four things today, and you can dig deeper into each of these pieces within the parish playbook. There's a link that's posted up a little bit earlier in the chat. We'll continue to roll that link through throughout this webinar of where you can go and download your copy of the parish playbook to read through each of these pieces. When we look at the parish playbook, let's dig in to reinvigorate worship in this first piece uh, of the invitation. Attentiveness to the Arch Celebrande. Here's the thing. What you do in your parish will impact the most people if you do it at Mass. Most of your parishioners, their experience of your parish happens on Sunday. It happens when they get in the car and they drive to church, when they pull into your parish parking lot, when they get out of the car. All of this is part of the Sunday experience. Most people will get their catechesis from the Sunday liturgy. Now, of course, there are other things within this parish playbook that are important that we want you to implement for invitations. But this first one might be the most critical because this first one impacts the most people. Their experience of liturgy is what will catechize, evangelize, and send forth 80 to 90% of your parishioners. So this is a key invitation. We talk about the art celebrande. We're talking about the art of the celebration of the liturgy. When we look at how we do mass, how we celebrate mass, we are communicating something about the importance of the Eucharist. So I want you to imagine for a second that somebody encounters your parish, right? And uh, we don't even, I used to give this analogy, like, let's say it's an alien that comes up, but in America, this doesn't, we don't need to have aliens visiting us anymore. Let's say it's a member of Gen Z, uh, a generation of people who are growing up who may actually not have a whole lot of context for who J Jesus is, what the Catholic church is, um, what, what standard religious practices. They're a generation that actually is quite religious in, in a, maybe more of a non-conventional sense and is actually quite spiritual. So they would have a, a, a sense for those things, but might not know anything about the Catholic church or Jesus. Let's say they walk into your parish on Sunday. They walk into mass and they just observe. They don't know anything about it. What would they tell you is most important? Like if you interview that person afterwards and said, okay, tell me what you saw. Would they be able to identify through the movements of the liturgy? Well, you know, it, it seems like something big was happening there because everybody looked joyful. People were participating. People were singing. I know that, you know, there, there was certainly a place of prominence for whoever was up front. Uh, they were dressed differently, but there seemed to be an importance. That was the leader. Uh, but then there was a particular moment in the mass where, um, you know, everybody knelt and things got very solemn. And there, there was a sense that something big was happening. So I don't know what it was, but that seemed to be really important. You know, would they walk away from that saying that was beautiful? I, I don't know exactly what happened, but there was a beauty about that. Uh, there was a weight about that. There was an importance about that. There was a feeling there. Or would they leave saying, it seemed like people were kind of, I don't, didn't seem that important. People kind of were dozing in and out. Uh, some people were reading like a piece of paper. Saw one person on a phone. Uh, you know, the, the person up front who was, seemed like they were leading didn't seem to care all that much. You see, we communicate something by how we celebrate the liturgy. 
Um, we communicate what we believe by how we pray. If somebody didn't understand all the ins and outs and the theology and the rubrics, could they tell what was important? Could they tell what was beautiful? Could they tell that, that the Eucharist is the most, is the most important thing that happens in this, in this moment the, where, where we encounter our Lord or would they miss it? This is what we're talking about when we talk about reinvigorating worship. Uh, we are talking about leaning into the, the place where we will catechize people by our actions, by our words, where we'll evangelize them in the most important encounter they will have all week. And there's a couple of practical pieces to this. First is fidelity to the texts and rubrics of the church. Our church in its wisdom has given us a way to celebrate the mass that provides consistency for any church that we walk into and provides beauty in the prayers of the mass um, and provides a comfort when we walk into any Catholic parish. Uh, but we have to be faithful to those texts and the beauty of the rubrics of the church. In addition to being faithful to them, we also need to understand them. Uh, we need to have a prayerful understanding of the liturgical text, the different feasts and seasons throughout the year. And not only do we need to have that understanding as the people who are engaged in liturgical ministries, as the priests and deacons, of course, but does our parish community have an understanding of that? You know, do they have an understanding of the different prayers that we're using, uh, some of the nuances there? But on a bigger level, do we celebrate feasts in a big way? Do they have an understanding of the liturgical life? Are we teaching that? And are we using the liturgy as a place to bring that in, uh, where there is a, a difference in how our, our sanctuary looks, but an explanation of that. Sometimes we can take it for granted as we shift from ordinary time into Advent that people know what's happening here. Uh, we might say, well, of course they do. They're coming to Mass. But what if they don't? What if everybody's sitting in the room all afraid to ask the same question of like, why do we light those candles again? Why is everything purple? Why, why is it pink this one week? Leaning into a prayerful understanding of that as a community and teaching it allows us to invite people into the beauty of that celebration. The third thing that we can do very practically is have a reverent sense that the minister and the assembly are ordered in such a way that they may draw from it more abundantly those fruits for which Christ instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. Do we understand the relationship between the minister and the assembly? What is our role as laity when I arrive, what is the priest role as minister? And do we have an understanding of why both of those things are important and how we celebrate the mass well together? When I go to mass as a layperson, I am not an act. I'm, I'm not a consumer. I'm a person who's bringing spiritual sacrifice. Um, at the same time, I'm not the priest. Like I, I don't have the, the, the gift of ordination to do what only the priest can do. What is my role in this? And how do we understand the relationship that the two share with one another? And then the fourth piece is a proper preparation for celebrating the liturgy. In order to bring the liturgy into a place where it's beautiful and it communicates what we believe, we have to be intentional about how we celebrate. And this happens on two sides. I want you to think about this and encourage your parishes to think about this on two ends. One is the side of the parish. How is the priest, the deacon, the, the liturgist, the worship, uh, the, the music the music team, how are they coming together to discuss what will happen at mass that Sunday so that what is sung is reflective of the readings and orients us towards God rather than looking inward to ourselves? Are we choosing songs that are truly songs that worship the Lord and praise the Lord? Um, are we being intentional about how the homily is connecting with the readings and perhaps with the parish community? Priests, are they getting feedback? Deacons, are they getting feedback on how their preaching is impacting their community? Are they mindful of what's happening in the life of the community and touching 
on those things. I've said this uh, in other other forums, but as we're faithful to the text and rubrics of the church, the place of the homily is where there's the most flexibility for a priest to lean in um, and to share what is culturally appropriate and community appropriate to preach to his flock. And then on the other side, there's proper celebration of the liturgy for the laity. Are we providing opportunities for the laity to be formed to properly celebrate mass? Because I think there's two traps we can fall into as laity. So I'll speak from where, where many of us are as lay people, uh, either scrupulosity, walking in the mass and, and being looking at the text and rubrics of the church and keeping score on the priest and being like, oh, did, did they do this perfectly? Am I doing this per perfectly? Being overly scrupulous, overly critical, overanalyzing everything that happens in the mass. Yes, fidelity to the text and rubrics of the church is key. At the same time, if I'm so concerned about checking all of the boxes and, and keeping score, and again, you may find yourself even doing this when I, I find myself doing this, I'll, I'll put it on me. When I visit a new church, like starting to check the boxes and that's, that's taking me out of mass. That's not proper preparation for celebrating the liturgy. And then the flip side is to have a familiarity with the liturgy that diminishes the awe we ought to have. We come to mass and, and I'm not properly disposed because I just, I'm kind of here, I'm showing up and I'm, I'm not checking the boxes of the liturgy. I'm just sort of checking my box of like, well, I showed up and I'm here. Are we inviting laity into that awe and wonder for the proper celebration of the mass and providing them um, a challenge at their scrupulosity and a challenge against familiarity and bringing into intentionality. How do we intentionally celebrate the mass and enter into all of the various movements? What should I be doing at different points? This is how we can re-engage the art of celebrating the mass on the presider side and then also on the layperson side. When we do these things, we enter into a reinvigoration of worship, breathing new life into that thing that is going to impact the most parishioners. That is the place where people will come back to on Ash Wednesday, perhaps, or Christmas, or Easter, or just during the week. Uh, they might not come to anything else. Is your Sunday Mass enough to evangelize, to catechize, and to send forth? The next invitation we have is also personal encounters. Now we move beyond that big celebration that happens, that high point of our week in the Sunday liturgy, and we move into opportunities for continued personal encounter. As people are fed at the Mass, are there places where they can go and continue to have encounters with Jesus during the week? One thing we're proposing as a best practice is a monthly encounter night of Eucharistic adoration at your parish. Eucharistic adoration and mass are intrinsically linked together. Uh, as I adore the Lord in Eucharistic adoration, my heart should long to be more intimately united with him in reception of the blessed sacrament at mass. As I adore the Lord in Eucharistic adoration, my intentionality for I celebrate the mass should go up knowing that I've built this personal relationship with Jesus. And then conversely, after I receive the Lord at mass, there ought to be times where in my life and in the week, I go to visit him uh, in the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle, or I have an opportunity to go. If my parish has exposition of the blessed sacrament, perhaps in a perpetual adoration chapel or chapel that has different hours where I can go back and just sit at the Lord's feet and be with him. These monthly encounter nights are a wonderful way to invite our parish uh, in, a, in a big way and in a corporate way to experience Eucharistic exposition and Eucharistic adoration so that they might choose to do that during their week. And that the place where you have, a, maybe you have a Eucharistic chapel or it's just, you know, spending time in front of the tabernacle in your parish, um, in the nave of your, of your parish, uh, but that 
parishioners would start to get this familiarity of, oh, I can go and spend time with Jesus. I can have a personal encounter. So these nights are corporate nights where it's an hour of Eucharistic adoration each month open to parishioners. That's a guided time for people to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist. The long-term goal of this is to have maybe 12 of these over the course of the year where um, there's uh, an opportunity for people that very something very structured. And we're not just saying, okay, you're going to go sit in front of the blessed sacrament. Not everybody might be ready for that, but a clear invitation come to spend some time with us in adoration of the blessed sacrament. And there are lots of ways that you can set up these nights. Um, one way is to have somebody give a message and present uh, before Eucharistic adoration, which is popular among many parishes. So people would arrive, maybe you would have uh, some music ministry, invite people into a prayer through music. Somebody would provide a message. Um, and this could be anybody, it could be a lay person, it could be a priest, a deacon, a religious brother or sister. And then there's a holy hour uh, of, of guided Eucharistic adoration. Um, another way to do this is to welcome everybody and to have uh, a, a very liturgical movement of an opening song, uh, procession in with the blessed sacrament, some time of silence, a reading of the gospel of the day, or perhaps the gospel from that Sunday. The priest or deacon who is um, presiding over Eucharistic exposition then might give a short message, uh, followed by some more silence, some more sung prayer, and then closing with benediction and the singing of the divine praises. Uh, we will have resources available for you to do this. You can find them at eucharisticrevival.org forward slash lead. Um, and in this summer, we'll be releasing a couple of different versions of how you can host these encounter nights at your parish. But the goal of the encounter night is to deepen the experience that people have at mass and then to get people comfortable with going to the blessed sacrament and sitting before Jesus uh, and just being with him during the week. Can you imagine what your parish would look like and how mass would change on Sunday? If most of your parishioners on the way home from work uh, one night a week just stopped in or on the way to work uh, to your Eucharistic Adoration Chapel and just spent 15 minutes with the Lord, having a, a personal encounter, a quiet moment with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. These encounter nights are designed to be uh, to, to be rivers that go into you know the, the tributaries of people's lives and lead them to the Eucharist. The third invitation in all of this is robust faith formation. We know that when we love somebody, we have a personal encounter with them. We experience moments of intimacy with them. But as I love somebody, I grow in my knowledge of them, right? I mean, we all have this experience. I think about my marriage with my wife. When I met my wife, I don't tell this story. Well, I, I tell this story once in a while. But the first time I saw my wife, it was one of the only moments I've had spontaneous discernment. I saw her and I, I was like, I, I think that's the person I'm going to marry. Uh, I just had this this sense. And, and, and it, it turned out that months down the road, I was proposing to her. She was very cool. I, I've never had a, a moment like that, right? But I didn't know anything about her. But I had this moment of encounter, which just kind of put me back on my heels. And, and there was something about our first conversations that, that made me want to know more. When we fall in love with Jesus or we invite people into a deeper relationship with Jesus, there's an ebb and flow of encounters where I can't explain it. I can't put my finger on it. But there are moments of intimacy. But those moments of intimacy drive me to want to know more. And we need to have both of these things. And robust faith formation is re-examining at our parishes on a big level. And then I'm going to talk about a specific invitation. But on a big level, how are we teaching about the Eucharist? How are we teaching about it explicitly in our faith formation programs, our religious education programs, our youth ministry, our men's and women's groups, our mass, those nights of encounter all of the places, how are we teaching about Jesus Christ in the Eucharist? One assumption that we can no longer make is that people understand the teaching. The data doesn't bear that out. There are a lot of people who don't understand the church's teaching 
on transubstantiation, let alone can articulate it, which is why when people are presented with it, perhaps they say, well, I don't, I don't think I believe that. But they've not had a chance to dive more deeply into it. So on a big level, how are we examining how we explicitly teach about this? How we implicitly teach about this, implicit teaching being, hey, this is how I celebrate, how the mass is celebrated, how we do Eucharistic adoration, um, how, how we just act towards the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle. That's all implicit teaching. And then are we not teaching about this? That's null teaching. Null teaching is when we don't teach about anything at all. And even and when we don't teach about something, that teaches something, right? So there's a specific way that we're inviting people into this robust faith formation. I want you, I want you to do an audit of all of your faith formation. That's what I'm calling you to invite parishes to do, okay? So for the parish point, people say, we want to invite you to audit your faith formation in our diocese. Where are you teaching about the Eucharist? And we want you to be intentional about it this year. But then we're going to invite parishes to engage in something specific, which is this Jesus and the Eucharist small group initiative and preaching series. This is a two-part uh, aspect of teaching that hits preaching at our Sunday masses. And then it's an invitation to go deeper through a small group initiative that will build community and help people learn more about Jesus and the blessed sacrament and the promise that is contained within that sacrament of salvation. So this parish-wide small group study is called Jesus in the Eucharist. This is a resource that is provided to parishes without charge. So parishes may ask you, well, how much do I have to pay for this? Do I have to buy stuff? You don't. This involves, um, wonderful video resources that are very simple for any parish to use. Uh, the videos are plug and play. You press play. It's a two hour video. And in that two hours, it's not two hours of just watching a video. Uh, there's extended times for table discussions. So for your parishes, this is a great way to build community and for people to be formed. There is a training available now. So parish point people might say, well, how do we get started? You can go to the Parish Point Person webpage, which is eucharisticrevival.org forward slash Parish Point Person. Um, and you'll be able to find resources there for pre-recorded webinars that explain how to set up this small group training. So this is something, if you haven't watched it already as an Aston Point Person, I'd encourage you to do that. But your Parish Point people can watch that now and understand how to get things set up in the fall. The full resource will be available in the summer, and we will have a short one-sheet preview of what the seven topics are and how uh, this will be lived out available in the next couple of weeks. People will be able to find that on parish on eucharisticrevival.org forward slash lead and forward slash parish point person. Additionally, a preaching series will be resources available to your parish priests and deacons where they can preach intentionally on the kerygma and on Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Again, when we look at mass, this is the place most people will go. So the small group study, we want big invitations to that. Encourage your parishes to make that a big deal, but also encourage your parishes to use this charismatic uh, preaching series because most people will hear that. And hopefully many of them go to the small groups of parishes, but these two things can be done in tandem with one another. And the final piece of this is missionary sending. There are two aspects to this. The first is an invite one back campaign to accompany those in need of a returning to the church and then accompaniment to those on the margin and those in need. So two aspects of this. First, an invite one back campaign is inviting your parishes to intentionally reach out to fallen away community members. Every parish is going to be at a different place for when they can do this. So I will say, if you have parishes that are already just robust, there's robust faith formation, the, the liturgy is beautiful. Uh, it's a parish, a parish of missionary disciples. Maybe they start with this right away at the beginning of their parish year. But you're going to have to help parishes discern this because for some parishes, 
they may not be ready to do this until the spring of 2024. This may be one of the last things they do. They may have to look at, hey, we got to reinvigorate worship first because if we invite somebody back to something that isn't ready for a guest, they might just leave again. So we have to kind of take honest stock of our parishes and encourage humility and honesty among your parishes. You're implementing this to say, are you ready to invite people back? Or do we have a little bit of work we need to do? And if we do, that's fine. Uh, but then maybe the invite one back campaign happens a little bit later. We want to make sure that what we're inviting people back into is ready for guests. And it may not be. But if we're following these best practices and parishioners are starting to have personal encounters and we're reinvigorating worship and we've formed people in understanding who Jesus is, the invite one back is going to happen very organically because people are going to start to say, how do I bring people back to the table? Now, note this invite one back campaign is not invite one back to mass. This is invite one back to some aspect of parish life. So how do we help parishioners understand where they can reach out and, and how to reach out? We'll be providing resources for this Invite One Back campaign, again, on that parish point uh, on eucharisticrevival.org forward slash lead over the course of the year, starting in summer and fall of 2023, where there will be resources that can be shared with parishioners on how to have some of these conversations for inviting people back, um, ways that we might do that effectively, and just an overview of how might we know if, if we're ready to start inviting some folks back in. One of the mistakes we often make when we do these kinds of invite one back campaigns or, or come home campaigns is we're not ready to welcome guests and people walk in the door and then they walk back out saying, well, I remember why I left. We want to reinvigorate worship, have personal encounters, form our parishioners so that when we invite people back, they're invited into a joyful community that love, is love with the Lord in the Eucharist and knows uh, who they are rooted in that. The second aspect of this is accompaniment to those in need and on the margins. The Eucharist commits us to the poor, those materially poor and those spiritually poor, those on the margins and those who are in need. And so the second thing we're going to ask parishes to do as they're sent forth as missionaries is to ask, how do we have a connection in our community as a Eucharistic people that is going out to be Christ? to those in need. Strengthening existing connections with uh, community services, strengthening existing outreaches that parishes might have, but then also creatively thinking about the new things that we're called to do as missionaries within our community. I used to work for a pastor who would often remind us in our staff meetings, if we close down tomorrow, where are we at in our community? Would all of the non-Catholics, would all of the community organizations, would all of the members of this community be coming to us and saying, you can't close. Let, how can we help? How can we raise money? Of course, the Catholics in the community are, are not going to want the parish to close, but would the community at large say, you are too important to us? We have to ask ourselves the same question. I think that's a great question to ask your parishes. You know, Have you moved or are you moving in that direction where you are in, integrated in the community, not as a, a cloistered parish, but is tied in, especially to those who are in need and on the margins. So those are the four invitations that are exist in the parish playbook. And those are the four things you're going to be inviting parishioners into. The inv invitation to reinvigorate worship, have a personal encounter, engage in robust faith formation, and then be sent out as missionaries. As you look at this, and the last thing I'll say, the leader's playbook, as you give an overview to your parish point people, um, you can say, what is, they'll say, what does this book contain? It contains four invitations best practices for how to live those things out. So I think that's worth noting. These are not suggestions. These are best practices. And they're followed up with case studies from multiple areas, uh, places where this is being lived out well. And in this parish playbook, there's a challenge, a challenge beyond the status quo, a challenge beyond business as usual, a challenge to do more. Yes, this is tough to implement, 
but the gospel message is worth it. So as you're talking to your parish point people, as you're sharing this in your diocese, these are the four things that we're sharing. Uh, these four invitations, best practices for how to implement them, case studies of where this is being done well, so people can see that this can be done, and those are from a diverse group of parishes through the United States, and then in that, a challenge, a challenge beyond business as usual and the status quo. And so with that, um, David, I'm going to kick it back over to you uh, as okay. we take some questions. Thanks so much, Joel. That was fantastic. Um, I'm particularly impressed with how smoothly you can get that website forward slash lead out to everybody. So uh, that is that is a home page for all of these resources. But in all seriousness, the way that you describe that the combination of, you know, honest self-assessment of the parish of what are our strengths that we can build on, what are some areas for improvement, which we all have personally and communally. And I think this tool gives us uh, a lot to work from there. So just looking at a couple of the questions that are coming in, again, if you just use that question button in the uh, bottom right corner. Uh, so first off, there was a question, I'm gonna have to familiarize myself with this, about recommended um, reading, Fathers of the Church, I think was the way came up to, uh, oh yeah, any recommendations for books, authors, church fathers on the Eucharist uh, to supplement the second seven week study. Um, so the first thing that came to my mind just in our learn section of our platform, when you go in there, um, the Brant Petrie resource, I, it, I forget the title, Jewish Roots of the Mass or Jewish Roots um, is uh, particularly fruitful <laughs> Uh, source just to have a, uh, that that uh, foundational appreciation of what we're doing in the mass and why. Um, I don't know, Joel, anything on church fathers that comes to your mind off the top of your head? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think through, I'm, I'm looking at a book. I, so I'll give you a book recommendation that you yeah. can check out. Uh, it's sitting on my shelf right now. I'm looking right at it. It's called the hidden manna, a theology of the Eucharist. Um, it is a classic work. Uh, it's a it's a big book. Um, I've got it. I've got it sitting right here. So it's it's see. I mean it's 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 robust. But this is a wonderful overview. The first few chapters of like um, Eucharistic theology, uh, patristics, church fathers. I would highly recommend like as as diocesan folks grabbing that just as a resource. Um, it's wonderful, and it will point. Uh, there's excerpts from the church fathers in there um, as well. Uh, but it will point you to a lot of like good directions. So I've used that as a jumping off point. Um, I believe we're also, but we're putting together a resource page as well um, that will be yeah. available to folks that will continually have a running list of resources from other publishers and authors that you can check out um, yeah. over the course of the parish year. So point your parishes towards that. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, next question then, would it be possible to get a quick list of the activities where the national team will be creating materials and anticipated release dates? Um, so it's a great question. We have a number of different things moving forward simultaneously. Um, I don't know that we have, that we have, uh, exact release dates other than for the Jesus and the Eucharist program. That's really our top priority right now. Um, I see the question about when those will be available. So by September, uh, that program will be complete, accessible through the, uh, to stream through the website. Joel, any other 
thoughts or comments on those? Yeah, I think it's safe. Yeah, stay close to that learn and lead page and that parish point person page as well. There will be uh, release dates listed there. We have some cool things planned, uh, individual Bible studies, um, uh, the Jesus and the Eucharist study, that charismatic preaching piece, and then those uh, pieces for the Invite One Back campaign. Many of those resources are going to be released in summer and fall of 2023. Yeah. Um, so by fall of 2023, those things will be available to you. I also saw just all hop on it. There's a question about what materials will be available for the Jesus and the Eucharist study. There's seven full length videos, uh, two hour videos available with that participant handouts um, as well. And then a couple of trainings. If you haven't already go to the um, parish point person webpage, eucharisticrevival.org forward slash parish point person. And you can watch a, a recorded webinar that we did that will go over all of those pieces and what's included there. Uh, and I think that's a great place for your parish point people to go as well. And, and Joel, as I think you said in your presentation, we are going to be putting out um, an overview of the themes for the seven sessions and just giving people a sense of what the flavor yeah. is going to be. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of like um, we're building it as we're flying it. So we're uh, thanks to everybody who's, plugging away on many levels here. Um, okay, best way to have parish teams involved and in the loop to activities for the revival. Yeah, so this is our, our push on that parish point person page. It's really an invitation to team members at a parish to enter their email address, to get on the distribution list. There'll be regular communications that we'll share with them directly. All the diocesan uh, point persons will be copied in on those so that we're all moving forward together on the same page. Uh, but that is, that's the best way to stay connected. Um, and it's through those channels that we're going to be sharing all the updates as soon as they're ready. Um, let's see. Uh, could this be implemented in PSR? All right. Uh, PSR, Joel. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think, uh, I, I, I guess I would ask a follow-up question is, are you talking about the Jesus and the Eucharist study or like all of this stuff? Um, I think, you know, one, I'll go back. Looking at all of our faith formation programs is key in looking at robust faith formation. Um, I think, you know, the revival. Yeah. So what, it, I guess the short answer is not knowing a little bit more about the question, but yeah, it, this the revival should touch all aspects of your parish, uh, PSR included. Okay, great. Um, so sorry, me again. Uh, we need that parish point person page, not the newsletter URL question mark. Um, so the parish point person page that Joel had mentioned was eucharisticrevival.org forward slash parish point person. Oh yeah, there we go. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, the webpage recently got updated when we added the, the playbook and this page is gonna be public and outward facing soon and very soon. I don't think it is at this particular moment in time, but. It, you can access it directly with that link. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, 
All right. While we wait and see if there's any other questions that come to mind, I'll say one of the things that jumped out to me in the playbook was um, in the personal encounters section, there's this question of, you know, do you remember the first time that you met Jesus in the Eucharist? And, and using that as a, a faith sharing opportunity and with whatever your team, your planning committee, um, what's the most recent time that your eyes were opened in the breaking of bread? Those kinds of uh, chances for people to give witness and to share their own testimony, I think that's been really powerful for us as we've gone around the table uh, with different groups. And, and really, it's just a reminder of who's, who's leading this revival and why he wants us to be reaching out, inviting people back, uh, reaching out and bringing him outside the church to those who are most in need. So I, I think there's some, a number of hidden gems like that um, in the, in the uh, playbook here. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I'm just checking. Yeah. So Joe, Joel, I don't know if there's anything else that you would want to hit on where. I think just a, just a note of encouragement. Um, we have an opportunity right now because the Lord is uh, the, I, I the Holy spirit has inspired the bishops of our country to unify in calling for revival. And the first step, like I said, is prayer, begging for revival, praying for revival, but we have to act. And we have an opportunity here as diocesan point people, as diocesan leaders, as apostolate leaders and as parishes to embrace what's happening um, and to go back into the, the core of who we are. I, I, I go back to this scripture often as I've been working in the revival, but Jesus says, you know, when salt loses its saltiness with what can it be seasoned? And that's the Eucharist for us. Like if, if we lose the Eucharist as, as the core of, the, of who we are, you know, the, the Eucharistic sacrifice is the force and summit of our lives with what can a Catholic be seasoned, right? Like there are a lot, we could do all of the right things and all of the cool things and, and great things, but none of that stuff is going to season us. Right. And I think that revitalization in the church does happen through this renewal and revival of not just Eucharistic understanding of not just Eucharistic theology, but a love of the Eucharist and parishes are a place where that can happen. We have a moment here to seize uh, and, and to in a place where things are unified, where there's unified call, where there's a unified moment. Uh, these things don't happen often. Um, so to be diligent in, in leaning into this moment for all of us is key. We may work harder in the vineyard in the next 16 months than we will in our entire ministry career. Um, but this next 16 months could bear fruit. Maybe not fruit that we'll harvest, um, but it will bear fruit. Not because we're going to have great efforts, but because I truly believe the Lord has blessed this moment um, and is going to bless our response to it. All right. Thank you. Amen. And um, I'm just thinking back to the prayer we used at the start here, this now the, the new official prayer for the Eucharistic revival. Really encourage you to to pray that with your team members, to share that. We'll be pushing out the, you know, the nice formatted uh, version, multiple languages. That'll be coming very soon. Uh, but as I prayed it, I was remembering back to the Bishop's Advisory Group uh, for the National Eucharistic Revival when they discerned this verse from uh, John chapter 6, that the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. So this for the life of the world, um, 
this mission oriented sending that the Lord is calling us to. So drawing close to him and then letting him send us out. And um, I, you know, again, I'm just grateful for uh, everything everyone's doing. And uh, thank you for sharing uh, the news on the revival with uh, all of your parish leaders. So as we start to wrap up our time together, thanks again to Jonathan behind the scenes. Joel, thank you for your passion and your vision here and walking us through the playbook. And I'd just like to finish with a, a short uh, glory be together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, thanks everyone. God bless.